Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well. As we will once again be in Mark chapter 15 this morning, looking specifically today at verses 16 through 32, or when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was mocked and then crucified on a cross at Golgotha, which comes to us today in the text, following Jesus Christ being bound led away and delivered by the Sanhedrin to the Roman governor of Judea at this time, a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, who then, as we see in verse 2, asked Jesus Christ, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus Christ, he replied back to him by saying, You have said so. To which the chief priests then as we see in verse 3, accused Jesus Christ of many things. Only for Pilate then to ask Jesus Christ in verse 4, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. And Jesus Christ, he quite simply here, made no further answer. And so Pilate was amazed. And yet as we go on to see in verse 6, that at the Passover feast, that this Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, for he then would release for the people one prisoner for whom they asked. And thus the crowd then, verse 8, for they came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them, referring here, church, to him releasing the prisoner of whom they requested. To which Pilate then answered them by saying in verse 9, for do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Since Pilate, verse 10, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered Jesus Christ up. But the chief priests here, church, verse 11, for they stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release a man by the name of Barabbas instead of Jesus Christ. Barabbas being, as we saw in verse 7, an insurrectionist who ultimately had committed murder. To which Pilate then said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they, verse 13, cried out again, Crucify him! Only for Pilate then to say to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they, the crowd here, church, shouted all the more, or roared even louder now, as the New Living Translation puts it, to crucify him. So Pilate then, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And verse 15, having scourged or flogged Jesus Christ, which again was the practice where Jesus Christ would have been stripped of his clothes, tied to a post, and then struck over and over and over again with a lead-tipped whip, a beating so bad and so brutal that oftentimes it just killed the individual who was being flogged. And yet, for that did not happen here, church. And I say that because after this brutal and savage beating to Jesus Christ was over, for Pontius Pilate then delivered Jesus Christ, verse 15, over to be crucified. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for he was despised, mocked, spit on, and struck, 
and ultimately then was crucified and killed as a ransom for many. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for he was despised, mocked, spit on, and struck, and ultimately then was crucified and killed as a ransom for many. And thus at this time, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 32. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 852, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 15 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 16 through 32. Where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how humbling it is to read this text this morning about the crucifixion of your Son, Father, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the God-man himself, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we pray that you open our eyes to this text this morning, that you soften our hearts to this text this morning, that we be in awe of this text this morning as we realize that we have not been saved because of any good works or anything that we did. But instead, the basis of our salvation, the means of our salvation, is in the work that Jesus Christ, your Son, accomplished on that cross at Calvary when he was crucified, died, and gave up his life as a ransom for many. Father, let us be in awe of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the suffering he was willing to endure for us the beatings, the strikings, the whippings, the spittings, and the crucifixion that he endured in order to save sinners from their sins. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and my stammering tongue this morning. Father, I pray that you give me the words to speak so that you, Father, be glorified. I pray as I share this text that I decrease and that your Son, Jesus Christ, increases. Lord, that our entire service today be a faithful and glorifying offering to you, Father. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, was mocked by sinful men. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, was mocked by sinful men, verses 16 through 20. And the soldiers then led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. So following Jesus Christ being flogged, again where he was struck and hit, and beaten so badly with a lead-tipped whip that he literally would have had chunks of his own flesh ripped off his back and would have lost a tremendous amount of blood during this time, that Jesus Christ then, after this beating was over, was delivered up to be crucified. Our soldiers then led Jesus Christ, verse 16, away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, And that after the flogging of Jesus Christ was complete, likely in some kind of public area, that soldiers then, soldiers who likely accompanied Pilate from Caesarea, led Jesus Christ, verse 16, away inside the palace. The palace here seemingly referring to King Herod's palace, which was located in northwestern Jerusalem and which was also where Pontius Pilate was likely staying at this time. And hence it would observe, verse 16, as the governor's headquarters or as the official residence of Pilate while he was staying in Jerusalem. Nevertheless, the soldiers then, as we see in verse 16, called together the whole battalion. The whole battalion here either referring to one-tenth of a legion of soldiers 
which would have been about 600 soldiers, or as numerous other commentators noted, that John Mark was simply using the phrase the whole battalion loosely here in order to refer merely to all the soldiers who were on duty at this time. Nevertheless, this battalion of soldiers or this group of soldiers, for they did not take pity on this beaten Jesus Christ here or sympathize with this bloody Jesus Christ here or show compassion or empathy or care or concern for this whipped and struck and battered man named Jesus Christ here. But instead, these soldiers, for they began to mock this king of the Jews, this Jesus Christ here by verse 17, clothing him in a purple cloak, which was likely just an old scarlet military robe, as Matthew 27, verse 28 puts it, that had significantly faded in the sun, and by putting a crown of thorns onto his head, which seemingly must have caused more pain, more wounds, and more bleeding to come from Jesus Christ here as well. To which the soldiers then, with Jesus' royal cloak, and royal crown now on him, if you will. For they then, verse 18, began to salute Jesus Christ by saying to him, Hail, King of the Jews, which of course was just a mocking parody of the salute that the Romans would give to Caesar when they would say to him, Hail, Caesar. And yet the mocking of Jesus Christ, for it did not end there, And I say that because the soldiers then, verse 19, struck Jesus Christ on the head with a reed, spit on him, and knelt down in homage to him. And thus, just picture the scene here for a second church. Of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, that after being beaten and abused and whipped to the point that chunks of his own flesh have been ripped from his back and that he's just covered in his own blood and barely able to stand and to hold himself up that now Jesus Christ here is being mocked with a faded purple cloak draped over his raw and bloody and shredded back and with a crown of thorns pushed down around his head and is being disrespectfully saluted as this king of the Jews hit on the head with a reed, spit on and having these sarcastic soldiers here dropping to their knees in mock worship of him as well. Most certainly recalling and echoing here, church, the words of the prophet Isaiah about the servant of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, which reads, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. To which these soldiers then, when they had mocked Jesus Christ, verse 20, For they then stripped him of the purple cloak, put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And thus, just as a brief point of application here, church, or very practically speaking here, church, for I came across this story this week from the late D.L. Moody concerning our text about a pastor of a small church in a small town who became very discouraged over his trials to the extent that he became a perpetual grumbler, so much so that he even began to find fault with his congregants 
because he imagined that they did not treat him as well as he deserved. However, a fellow minister was invited to assist him for a few days with a special service, and that at the close of this special Sunday service, the unhappy pastor then invited this visiting minister over to his house for a meal. And while they were waiting in the parlor, the unhappy pastor began his sorrowful story by saying, Oh, you have no idea of my troubles. And one of the greatest is that my congregants here in this very church, for they treat me very badly. So the visiting minister then asked this pastor the following questions. Well, have they ever spit in your face? No, they haven't done that yet, the pastor said. Have they ever hit you? No, not yet, the pastor again said. Well, have they ever crowned you with thorns? And with that, the pastor then simply could not answer, but instead just bowed his head thoughtfully, to which the visiting minister then said, well, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was treated that badly, and yet he did not complain. And this conversation, while it had a rather healing effect on the pastor, and thus both men then bowed their heads in prayer and all earnestly sought to possess the mind which was in Christ Jesus. And thus during the next few days, the discontented pastor became wonderfully changed, whereas he labored and prayed with his friends, and many souls then were brought to Jesus Christ. And some weeks later, then, a deacon of the church wrote to the visiting minister and said to him, Your recent visit and conversation with our pastor has had a wonderful influence for good on him, for we never hear him complain anymore, and he labors more prayerfully and zealously than ever. And although I do not want to belabor this point here this morning, since we still have a lot to cover in the text today, church, I do want to lovingly encourage you all at this time that if you struggle with persistent grumbling or struggle with sinful complaining, that's when one of your co-workers then do indeed treat you unfairly because of your faith in Jesus Christ, or when one of your family members do indeed speak to you badly about your commitment to Jesus Christ, or when one of your friends your roommates, your colleagues, or even one of those dear buddies of yours do indeed deal with you harshly because of your devotion to Jesus Christ. For not, do not be quick in those moments to sinfully complain against them, Christian, or begin to wickedly grumble about the goodness of your God under your breath then, Christian, but to instead be quick in those moments to remind yourself of the sufferings of Jesus Christ Christian, when he was beaten, spit on, flogged, and mocked, crowned with a crown of thorns on his head, and was crucified and killed on a cross in order to save sinners, Christian, from their very sins, and that he did so without any kind of sinful complaint. And to let that truth then, Christian, that reality then, Christian, allow you to grasp and to see and to realize, as the late Tim Keller so beautifully noted, that if Jesus Christ did not complain when he received a life infinitely worse than he deserved, for why then should we as Christians complain when all of us get a life infinitely better than we deserve? Which brings us to point number two. 
Jesus Christ did not avoid the cross, but he willingly gave himself up and was crucified and killed on a cross in order to save sinners from their very sins. Jesus Christ did not avoid the cross, but he willingly gave himself up and was crucified and killed on a cross in order to save sinners from their very sins. Verses 21 through 32. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The king of the Jews... And with him they crucified two robbers, one to his right and one to his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from that cross. So also the chief priest and the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So following Jesus Christ being struck and spit on and having a crown of thorns thrusted upon his head and mocked, all of which took place after Jesus Christ was flogged, a beating that was so bad and so brutal that many men quite simply just died from that alone, that Jesus Christ then, as we see in John chapter 19, verse 17, went out bearing his own cross or carrying the wooden horizontal crossbeam that he would eventually be nailed to. A crossbeam, mind you, church, that would have weighed approximately 100 pounds, only to then seemingly collapse and to not be able to carry this approximately 100-pound crossbeam any further, obviously due to all the physical beatings that his body has had to endure. And thus, as we see in verse 21, that soldiers then compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry Jesus' cross. Simon of Cyrene seemingly being a Jewish man from North Africa who had either traveled into Jerusalem during this time for the Passover feast or who was now a resident of Jerusalem and was simply coming back to the city of Jerusalem from the countryside. Nevertheless, this Simon of Cyrene was compelled here or forced here to carry the crossbeam of Jesus Christ as, verse 22, the soldiers brought Jesus Christ to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, which was a location near the city walls of Jerusalem, as John chapter 19, verse 20 puts it, but was also outside of the city walls as well. And just in case you are wondering... The English word Calvary, 
For that simply comes from the Latin word calva, which means a skull. Nevertheless, it's here, church, at this place called Golgotha, or Calvary, as we often refer to it, where Jesus Christ, verse 23, was offered wine mixed with myrrh, seemingly from the soldiers here, all as a way to help deaden and to help dull his pain. However, Jesus Christ, for he did not take this wine mixed with myrrh, choosing instead to bear the wrath of God with a completely sober and clear state of mind. To which the soldiers then, as we see in verse 25, that at the third hour, or at 9 a.m. church, for they then, verse 24, crucified Jesus Christ. And that, as one commentator described it, For when a condemned individual arrived at the place of their execution, for they were forced onto their back and nailed to the cross as it laid on the ground, the nails measuring five to seven inches long and resembling modern railroad spikes were driven through the individual's wrists just above the hand in order to support the full weight of the individual's slumping body. The individual's feet then were secured with a single spike, with their knees bent so that they could push themselves up in order to breathe. The nails would tear through the nerves in the wrist and in the feet, causing severe bolts of pain throughout the individual's impaled arms and legs. The cross then was slowly raised up until it was vertical, and the foot of the cross was subsequently then dropped into place into a deep post hole, landing with a a reverberating thud that sent excruciating pain jolting through the individual's body. And although the wounds from the nails did indeed cause severe agony, for they were not intended to be fatal, since the normal cause of death was slow suffocation. Therefore, if needed, the soldiers then could hasten suffocation by simply breaking the victim's legs, to which after Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. For the soldiers then, as we see in verse 24, for they then divided his garments among them and casted lots for them to decide which each should take, fulfilling here the words from Psalm twenty-two, eighteen, which reads, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And as we go on to see in verse 27, that Jesus Christ was also then crucified with two robbers or with two criminals here as well, one on Jesus' right and one on Jesus' left, fulfilling here the prophecy from Isaiah 53, 12, where the prophet Isaiah writes that the suffering servant would be numbered with the transgressors. And as Jesus Christ then hung from this cross, with five to seven-inch nails holding him up there. For those who passed by him then, verse 29, derided him and hurled insults at him and shouted abuse at him, blasphemed him and said terrible things about him, all while wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, verse 30, save yourself and come down from that cross. And not only did those who passed by him here, church, or the public here, church, mock him, 
But as we go on to see in verses 31 and 32, for so too did the chief priest with the scribes mock Jesus Christ here as well, saying to one another, for he saved others and he cannot save himself. For let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And what is just so fascinating and Interesting about that statement from the chief priest and the scribes, as Walter Wessel explains it, is that the religious leader's statement here is both true and false. And that in the sense that they, the religious leaders here, meant it, that Jesus Christ lacked the power to come down from that cross, for that statement was most certainly false. However, in a much more profound sense, for their statement was also true. And that if Jesus Christ was to fulfill his messianic mission, then he could not then save himself, since his death was absolutely necessary for humanity's redemption. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who is here first. And to share with you at this time, non-Christian, the good news that Jesus Christ did not decide to come down off that cross, nor to use his authority as the divine son of God himself to stop his physical death from taking place on that cross, but instead he, Jesus Christ, willingly gave his life up as a ransom for many on that cross in order to save each and every one of the children of God from their very sins. Since we as sinners deserve the justice and the punishment and the wrath of our most holy God for each and every one of our sins that we have ultimately committed against him. And thus the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, is that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that he came into this world as truly God and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from the wrath of our most holy God that we ultimately deserve for our sins by initially living for us the life that we could never live and that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life that was holy and just and perfect and good, free from any kind of injustice or iniquity, evilness or sin, meaning that he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, and he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, merely keeping the law of God all for the very children of God, for that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because the wage of our sin, non-Christian, or the cost of our sin, non-Christians, as Romans 6.23 puts it, is that of death. And thus because of that, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he willingly then gave himself up as a ransom for many by being nailed to and pierced, crucified and crushed and ultimately dying then on an old rugged cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute even though he himself 
never sinned, and in doing so, satisfied the justice of our holy God, and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God, all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of that, three days later, then this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, For he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, since sin and death had no power or no claim over him, for he, Jesus Christ then, for he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of the end of verse 32, where it reads that those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And that not only did Jesus Christ here have those who passed by him mocking him, and the chief priest and the scribes mocking him, but also, as we see here in verse 32, that the two criminals, that the two robbers who hung on the crosses right next to him, that they too were reviling him, ridiculing him, berating him, and hurling insults at him. And yet, as we see in Luke's account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, that one of these robbers then, on that very same day, that he would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I say that because, as Luke chapter 23, verses 19 through 43 notes, that one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, For we are receiving the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus Christ, then said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. To which Alistair begged, for he shared this, that without the preaching of the cross to ourselves, all day and every day, for we will very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. And thus, if you were to die tonight and were to gain entry into heaven, for what would you say? And if your answer to that question begins in the first person, then you've immediately gone wrong. 
because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer to that question is in the third person, because he. I mean, just think about the thief on the cross. I mean, I can't wait to find that fellow one day and to ask him, for how did all that shake out for you? I mean, you were cussing the guy out with your friend at one moment, and you've never been to a Bible study, never got baptized, you didn't know a thing about church membership, and yet you made it. For how did you make it? I mean, can you just imagine the angel when he asked the thief on the cross, so what exactly are you doing here in heaven? And the thief says back to him, well, I don't know. And the angel, dumbfounded by all this, says, well, excuse me then, I've got to get my supervisor. And the supervisor then says to this thief on the cross, well, then we've got a few questions for you. Number one, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? And the thief says, I've never heard of it in my life. Well, then what about the doctrine of Scripture? And the thief here, he's just staring at him. And eventually then in frustration, he says to the thief on the cross, then on what basis are you here? And the thief, he simply says back to him, for the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And that is the only answer. And if we don't preach the gospel to ourselves all day, every day, then we will find ourselves beginning to trust in ourselves. And to trust in our own experiences, which is all part of our fallenness as man. Because if we take our eyes off the cross, then we only give lip service to its efficacy and its effectiveness, while at the same time living as if our salvation depended on us. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, if you hear anything that I have to say to you this morning, or take anything away from my sermon here this morning, for please, please, please let it be this. For you have not been saved by any of your good works, Christian. No matter how many hours you volunteered at VBS in your life, no matter how many meals you cooked and gave to people in your life, no matter how much money you gave to the church in your life, and no matter how many times you've complimented the pastor in your life, and that it was not your good works, Christian, that led to your salvation, nor your righteous deeds that were the means of your salvation, your virtuous acts that were the grounds of your salvation, nor your ability to keep the commandments of God that were the basis of your salvation. But instead, as the Apostle Paul makes crystal clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, Christian. And this is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And that your good works, Christian, your righteous deeds, Christian, and your virtuous acts, Christian, did not lead to your salvation, Christian. Nor were they the basis of your salvation, the grounds of your salvation, or the means of your salvation. But instead, you were only saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, the one who actually did the redeeming, the atoning, the justifying, saving sinners from their sins work on that cross at Calvary. And thus, because of that, 
For let us all then, brother Christian, sister Christian, rejoice this morning and forevermore over the fact that we too, just like the thief on the cross, will spend eternity with our most holy God forever because Jesus Christ saved us from our very sins. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body continue to preach to ourselves day by day by day the gospel of Jesus Christ. Also that we remain in all of the work that Jesus Christ accomplished for us on that cross at Calvary, where he took our sins upon himself and paid the price for our sins, redeemed us from our sins, and ultimately then saved us from our sins. For let us cling to the fact, Father, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. For this he set aside, nailing it to the cross of that we bear them no more. And let us also then find absolute peace and comfort and joy in the fact that by grace alone, through faith alone, in your Son, Jesus Christ alone, that we, as the children of God then, will spend eternity with you, Father, in your most holy presence and in your most holy kingdom forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, let us grasp this morning that our salvation is the work of God and God alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that none of us may boast. For Jesus Christ is the one who did all the work that led to our salvation. He paid the price for our sins. He died for our sins as the propitiation for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to God forever. Thus, let us not become haughty at any moment over the works we do, but let us be in all of the work that Jesus Christ has already done to save sinners like me, Save sinners like you and all of the children of God who are here this morning from their sins. Father, let this text humble us this morning. That the Son of God, Jesus Christ, took on flesh and literally had that flesh ripped from his back, pierced in his hands and in his feet, and died on a cross at Calvary. The just for the unjust, in order to save sinners from their sins. Father, it is a work that only you and you alone could do, and we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.